So far, the writer of Hebrews, whoever he happens to be, um, has been making a point specifically that Jesus is exalted. And when he says that Jesus is exalted, he's going through the book. He's, he's actually going to show us that Jesus is exalted above all. Um, and he starts by, by pointing uh, toward the angels, and he tells us how Jesus is exalted above the angels. In chapter 1, it is who Jesus is really that, that shows that he is exalted. He is the divine Son of God. God doesn't look at an angel and say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. He says that to Jesus. He doesn't look at the angels and say that that I've that I that that you are you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. He says that to Christ, and so it's because of who Jesus is that He is exalted. We also saw in the first couple of verses of chapter two that Jesus uh, has not only uh, the testimony of God saying you are my son, but He also has the testimony of others as well. He has testimony from God by working signs and miracles and all these wonderful works that He does but he's also got the testimony of judgments, that God judging sin testifies to who Christ is. And not only that, that the angels themselves bear witness to who Christ is. And so he's exalted above the angels by the testimony of the angels, not just of God. But then we also see here in chapter 2, verses 5, and the balance of the chapter really, that Jesus is exalted for another reason. And it's one that you might not think, I don't know, I think I forgot to put this week's sermon. Because I'm looking at this saying, that's not this week, that's last week. So we're going to go with no slides this morning. Your pastor is human, Christ is, Christ is divine, but I am human, so there you go. If you ever forget that, just... <laughs> Mama to the rescue, thank you, Carrie. Um, it should be... Should be in there somewhere. Okay. All right. So Hebrews chapter two, we're going to read verses five through nine. Stand with me. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some in the pew or in some of the chairs in front of you. So if you're over here in the chairs, just reach down. There's, there's a Bible nearby. If you're in the pew, there's a Bible. Should be a Bible in front of you. Uh, there are the black books. Don't get the red books or, or that's not, that's not the Bible. Those are the hymnals. Okay. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, let's read verses 5 through 9 together. This is God's word, and if you let it, it will change your life. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Pray with me. Father, we pray that you would be magnified in the reading and preaching of your word. And as that word delves deep into our hearts, plant it deep within our heart soil that it, we, that it may bear much fruit for you. In Christ's name we ask these things. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. So he's been making this point that Jesus is exalted above the angels. And here he's going to point us to a specific fact. Look in verse 5. He says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. He's going to make his point from a negative stance. Sometimes when you make an argument, you make the positive argument. You say, this is what I'm arguing. But sometimes you make it from a negative and you say, it's not this, but it's that. That's what he does here. He says, God does not make the world to come subject to angels. He doesn't put angels in charge. He doesn't give them the authority to rule. Now, to really get this, you're going to have to go back in your mind to Genesis chapter 1. When God creates the heavens and the earth, he gives man a specific uh, instruction. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. What he tells man to do is, is to spread out throughout the world, but take charge of the world. All of the animals, all of the land creatures, all of the sea creatures, all of the birds of the air, everything would be under subjection to mankind. We've got a problem because when a serpent comes along who's a little more crafty, man gives his control over to Satan. When, when that serpent comes along and says, did God really say? And Eve says, well, this is what God said though it wasn't exactly what God said. And the serpent says, that's not true. You shall not surely die. And Adam, like a buffoon, is just standing there listening the whole time. They eat this fruit. Because who doesn't listen to serpents? We know better now, don't we? Do we? Do we really? Because I'm convinced that we don't know much better. I'm convinced that right now when we want to do something, we find a million excuses to do what we want to do, don't we? Don't we find all kinds of different excuses to do what we want to do? Thank you, Carrie. Thank you so much. She's awesome, by the way. If y'all don't know, she's awesome. Let me skip through to here. Okay, now we're caught up. When, when God creates the world and man sins against God, man gives up. His, his place as God's agent to exercise his dominion over the world that God has made. So when God says, I'm going to reestablish my rule, he needs to do it through a man who's more than a man. He doesn't do it through an angel. He could have looked around. He could have looked at Michael or Gabriel or, or name any angel that you want to name, any kind of name whatsoever. Doesn't matter. He doesn't pick any of them. He could have. He could have said, I'm going to put you in charge of this place and I'm going to make sure that you have my dominion over this world. But he doesn't do that. Instead, instead he puts his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus exercises the reign of God over his creation in a way that the first Adam couldn't do it. The last Adam does it perfectly. And for that reason, he is exalted above the angels, but sometimes it doesn't quite look the way that we think it ought to look. There's a paradox to Jesus being exalted in this way. Well, 
Let, let, let's look at verses 6 and 7. Let's see, let's see if we can find one of these paradoxes. It says, it has been testified somewhere. I love the fact that he doesn't even have to identify the author. All of his readers know exactly who he's talking about. It has been testified somewhere. I think somewhere, sometime long ago, someone, someone maybe, maybe you've never heard of, I don't know, but they said, you ever, you ever get that? Where someone, you know, someone ought to do something about this, and, and we all know that someone has. You know, wouldn't it be great if someone just created this little thing that would make light whenever you flip a switch? <laughs> we all kind of know who did that, didn't we? Yeah, we all we all have a sense of who that is. That's that's for this audience. This author is pointing to someone they all know. In fact, it's King David. And when you're talking to a Jewish audience, there's a couple of names: Abraham, Moses, David. You don't even have to you don't even have to go into particulars. Everybody knows who you're talking about. So it's been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man? that you care for him. You made him a little lower, for a little while lower than the angels. He's quoting Psalm 8. We read that just a few minutes ago. David is considering all the works of God. He's, he's looking at God's wonderful hand, working out all these wondrous creations. And he sits there and says, I'm just an ant. I'm nothing. Compared to God that creates everything from nothing, I am a little peon. I don't matter at all. What is man? How insignificant are we as people compared to a mighty God who can do all those things? And yet, God still cares about us anyway. To quote Dr. Chuck Kelly in his favorite Hebrew word, wow. That's incredible, isn't it? The fact that God would care for us even though we really aren't that important, at least not, not on a cosmic view, but we are to God. And that makes us important, by the way. But notice, the point here is that we're not grand. We're not something fantastic. We're not something that ought to be lauded and praised. And that's, that's, that's part of the author's point. There's a paradox here because Christ is humbled in his humanity. And so even though Christ is humbled in his humanity, there's, there's going to be something else that makes him exalted. Now, how can you be exalted and humbled at the same time? How can you be both humbled in humility and yet be exalted? That doesn't make sense to us. We think exalted and we think exalted, put up high. But when we think of humbled, we, we think of made low. How can you be both? When Jesus Christ dawned humanity, he took a giant step down. Let's just be honest. He was humbled. <laughs> and that's a nice way of putting it. He said to the Philippians, Paul, Paul did, that we should have the attitude that Christ had. Look at verse 7. Christ emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Boy, that is degrading language, isn't it? Emptied, form of a servant, humbled himself. Christ was humiliated when he became a man. The divine glory wearing human clothes, it's almost a disgrace. And yet, this is the way that Christ 
is exalted. Because though he is humiliated, though he is humbled in humanity, he is crowned with glory and honor. You've for a little while made him lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. David says, even though man is so small and so insignificant in the grand scheme of things, God does care for him. And because of his care for him, God has crowned him with glory and honor. How much more true is that than it is of Christ? The King of kings and Lord of lords has been awarded his crown in spite of his humiliation. Actually, that may not be the right way to say it. It might be better to say that he's been crowned through his humiliation. You see, we'll talk about this more in a few minutes, but this this crown right here, there's two types of crowns. We sang about one just a few minutes ago. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem. The diadem is the royal crown. It's the crown that the king wears. And so in beautiful procession, the king donning the crown has the authority of rulership. That's the the diadem. This word for crowned here is not referring to the diadem. It is referring to a second type of crown. The Stephanos is the Greek word. It is the victor's crown. You win your Olympic game. You would have a wreath of, of, of olives, I believe, placed on your head. I'm looking at, I'm looking at uh, uh, you because I think you would be the one to know. I don't know. I can't remember. He, he can look it up. Okay. He'll look it up. While he's looking that up, you would have this crown placed on your head. It was the crown of the victor. It was the crown that only the winner would receive. And you would receive it because of what you had done. You had earned it. It wasn't because you were born, the firstborn, to the ruling family. And so when, when the king dies, you're the next in line. It's the crown you get because of what you have achieved and accomplished. God here says, it is olives? Okay. This is the victor's crown. There, there's another connection with this crown with Jesus and twisting together a crown of thorns. Isn't it interesting? The victor's crown made of thorns, not olives, not something that would get acclaim and praise and esteem among men, but something that would draw blood and mockery. It's not the last time we see Jesus wearing a crown, though. Isaiah says, In that day the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory. Now this was written in Hebrew, but when they translated it to Greek, guess which word they used for crown? It's the same one. And a diadem of beauty. Also find something else in this verse. He is crowned, but what he's crowned with is he's crowned with glory and honor. Glory. It's a beautiful crown. It's a crown that attracts people. Jesus says in John 12, 32, that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. His is a crown that attracts people to him. But it's also a crown of honor. It's a crown of weight. It's a crown where he is important. Because of the crown that he wears, men not only are attracted to him to see him and and to behold his beauty, but they are also drawn to make him important. 
You see, his crown has both the attraction and the importance. It is glory and honor. And because of our relationship to Christ, we share in that glory and honor. Though he gets it to the full, and we don't quite get as much, do we? But that's okay. He, he deserves it all. So Jesus, humbled in his humanity, crowned with glory and honor. There's another paradox. Look in verse 8. This is at the end of verse 8. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that the things aren't yet subjected to Christ? Have you noticed that? Though things are not yet under his feet. Have you noticed that? Maybe, maybe you've noticed if you've looked around. Not yet. Describe our lives a lot, don't they? <laughs> Is it Christmas? Not yet. We just had Christmas a few weeks ago. You got to wait a whole nother year to get around to Christmas again, don't you? How many times do we as adults hear not yet? How many times do we as adults say not yet? <laughs> Too many. We look around our world and... We long for the day when Christ will reign over all the earth, but not yet. You see, it's, it's not yet time. Right now, we can point to a million things wrong all around us. And we can point to a million things wrong within us, too, if we're honest. Things aren't the way they ought to be. But even though it doesn't look like it now, even though we're in the not yet, it is not yet which means that there is a yet. That there is a time coming when all things will be in subjection to him. And the fact is, even though it doesn't look like it right now, God has already put everything in the control of Jesus Christ. Even though we look around and we see everything wrong, and there are a lot of things wrong around, wrong around us, it is all under the control of Jesus Christ. When it seems that chaos reigns and Satan is having a field day, just remember God owns the field. When it, when it looks like it's all nothing, nothing right, nothing good, nothing that we like, just know that nothing, nothing, nothing is excluded from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It might look bad now, but he's got this. You see, the beginning of verse 8, putting everything in subjection under his feet, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Everything falls under his reign. That means that those million things that you see around you that are wrong, they're all under his control. The million things you see wrong when you look in the mirror, they're under his control. What a comforting thought. Even though it's not yet, yet it is. Even though it looks like everything is going wrong, he is in control. Third paradox I want to show you. Though Christ has been made lower, and I put lower in quotation marks because there's kind of a physical aspect to this. You think, about, you think about the angels. Angels live in this celestial world, this heavenly realm, right? They're spiritual. They're not physical like us. 
And so when we think of our earth and we think of our world on this physical plane, it looks like we are below them. We are lower them. We are humiliated compared to them. But in reality, in reality, we're really not lower, but it sure feels that way. And Christ, when he dons the, the humanity, when he dons human flesh, he is made lower. But then it's not just lower in humanity, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. This may be the key to this passage and it may even be the key to the book of Hebrews. Humbled in his humanity, in a world that appears out of control, Jesus comes to our level. It's one thing for God to send us a word through the prophets. It's one thing for God to speak to us in sacred text and in the mouths of representatives that tell us what God says. But it's a whole nother thing for him to dwell among us. Here he is on the earth. His feet are getting dirty. He's tired. He's hungry. He's exasperated. He's loving. It looks like our Jesus is debased, depressed, despised, deposed. We see our Jesus on a cross bearing our sins, suffering our shame, dying our death, buried in our tomb. He's brought down to earth. He's put down in the grave. And then he descends all the way down into hell. Lower, lower, lower. But wait, what's, what's this? Some women approach his tomb, but that stone isn't there. That body isn't there. Disciples race to the scene. One waits while the other rushes in. The grave clothes are there. The head cloth is there. But the body isn't there body isn't there because the Lord isn't there. Not anymore. You see, though he is made lower in his death, God has raised Christ by his grace. Verse 9, but we see him for, for who a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. What's so incredible is that we see Jesus crowned through the suffering. Death wasn't a speed bump in Jesus' ascendancy. Jesus' death and humiliation were God's plan A all along. And he didn't need a plan B. The truth that is that no one is exalted without being humbled first. If you want to be exalted, you must first be humbled. And it's true of Christ too. He is humbled in his humanity so that then he is crowned with glory and honor. Even though we may not see it at present, God has put all things under his reign who for a little while was lowered, but now has been raised and he's been raised and crowned through the cross. The cross is Christ's coronation. And why did he die? What drove him to endure the humiliation of being a man and dying on the cross? Well, that's in verse 9 too. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He did it by God's grace. God's grace for you 
and for me. If you go back through Hebrews from chapter 1, verse 1, and you read through this verse, you'll notice something. You, you might have to read it a few times before you notice this. I had to double check it because when I saw this, when this was pointed out to me, I thought there is no way. But sure enough, I looked at it and it's correct. He has been talking through chapter 1 and up through chapter 2. And this is the first time he names Jesus in this book. They are finally ready. It's likely that he's speaking to Jews that have become Christians. And they are finally ready to know for sure that this is the Jesus we've been talking about all along. But we see Jesus. Now, we, we saw him humiliated by becoming a man. And we see him crowned with glory and honor. We see all things not yet subjected to him, but God has put them all under his control. We see him made lower than the angels through his suffering and death, and yet crowned with glory and honor so that by God's grace, he may taste death for everyone. Oh, that you would see Jesus. Boys, y'all need to stop. Just because mama's left doesn't mean y'all should be playing around like that. Oh, that you would see Jesus, that you would see him Though humbled, crowned, though not yet still in control, though made lower than angels, risen by God's grace. God, help us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Your son told us, come. So, Father, in this invitation, we come. We come recognizing our sins and asking for your forgiveness. We come recognizing our need for you. We come recognizing that we can't do it without you. We come willing to sacrifice our desires, our plans, our dreams and aspirations that we may follow you. Father, be with us and guide us that we may see Jesus and that he may change everything. Do your will in us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.